0: Welcome, everyone. I assume there's going to be people filtering in uh, as we go. Uh, So I wanted to, I always like to recap some of the things we've talked about. And last week, it was about the work of the Spirit. Um, The work of the Spirit uh, specifically regarding us in spiritual formation, being the power behind it, the glue bonding us to Jesus, making us more like him. Um, and we, we talked a lot about that, and I thought, as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know what, I need to recommend a book or two. I get a lot of students that are like, what book, um, there will be a couple more I'll recommend as well, what book really explains the Trinity well in a way that I can relate to, in a way that makes sense with everything? And so Michael Reeves's book, Delighting in the Trinity, is about as readable and practical and good as I've seen. I'm trying to think of anything better on the Trinity just as an introduction to the Christian faith through the Trinity, right? Another one that I couldn't find, which was unfortunate, um, is The Deep Things of God by Fred Sanders. Um, and that one's unique because what it does is it shows how you, how Christians, how any Christian church is implicitly Trinitarian in everything. And it looks at all the little details and how like baptism is Trinitarian and how, you know, just even benedictions are Trinitarian and how Christians do church and how that's implicitly Trinitarian. So the deep things of God by Fred Sanders and he is kind of the, you know, if there is the person uh, on the Trinity that I can recommend to you. It's Fred Sanders. He has more advanced books that I wouldn't maybe recommend in this context. But if you're interested, uh, take a look at them. So we were talking about the Spirit especially last week, and we ended with um, how spiritual formation is tapping into the, to God's tri- triune work, the Trinity. It's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit bonding us to Jesus, empowering us to be, be, be like him, who then represents us to the Father. Um, And how that's really kind of cool and amazing and also really challenging. And so something else that came up were Dark Knights of the Soul. And I mentioned the name and afterwards my wife was like, oh, I see. It probably wasn't clear because I kept saying John of the Cross. And if I'm you and I'm hearing that name for the first time, I'm hearing John and then last name of the cross or something. But John of the Cross, uh, Dark Knight of the Soul. Um, And how sometimes life is really hard and it seems like God is silent. That book is the classic. I can't say it's uh, as readable, but um, if you're interested in that more, please take a look. Actually, this book really wasn't very expensive at all. I think it was like six bucks or something. Um, But Dark Nights of the Soul are the idea that it seems like God isn't there. And if you feel like that, uh, you're feeling like Jesus sometimes. Right? It's kind of ironic when you think about it, but you know, his, some of his last words, my God, my God, why, di- why have you forsaken me? Um, it's really a misunderstood verse, I think, but it's a fascinating one, fascinating words where he's quoting a psalm where David begins, and by the way, this is typical, uh, where you quote a line where Matthew will say, out of Egypt I called my son. What in the world. Well, he's citing the beginning of a chapter, the beginning of a narrative, where what he's really citing is all of it, not just that line. That line really doesn't make sense in context there in Matthew. Or, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I often hear this, you know, just explained, like, see the son and the father, it's broken, even they. You know, I imagine it as a kid, I think, like, uh, you know, the emperor, In Star Wars, Luke Skywalker with the electric bolts and the father and the son. It's not what's going on. Um, Although it sort of can spark fun imaginative thoughts, what's going on is that whole psalm, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then most of the rest following, oh wait, you really haven't. You were here all along. Even in Jesus' dying words, even in the experience of a dark night of a soul, he's kind of being funny when you think about it, in an ironic way. Irony is comedy. So we talked about that last week. So anyway, those two books really stand out to me. Um, Buy them, read them, you'll learn a lot from them. So moving on to the spiritual disciplines, and I'm going to begin by discussing the spiritual disciplines as a means of grace. When you hear the phrase means of grace, it probably is sounding foreign to you. But you intuitively know what I'm getting at. Um, You can think generally here. Means of grace can be anything. Chocolate is a means of grace. It's a means of, you know, when you eat something, you're like, man, God is real, you know, in that case. Or maybe gardening. So means of grace, this is really broad. We're going to be talking about um, means of specifically through uh, the spiritual disciplines as the special means of grace. But means of grace are outward signs or actions that are divinely appointed channels through which God conveys grace to people. Um, that's a paraphrase of John Wesley. I think it's really helpful the way he organizes that. There, there are ways that God uses intentionally to meet us. God created us in a certain way. And so we shouldn't be surprised that there are certain ways actions or things we can do that just sort of make God real to us you ever had good beer maybe well we're gonna get at Martin Luther thought beer was a means of grace Um, but I'm gonna especially talk about the spiritual disciplines did I just drop that like a bomb you guys are like you guys can laugh it's totally okay Um, now that my wife's here right So, uh, Kyle Strobel, here's a great definition of means of grace. Uh, In short, means of grace are opportunities to come to God in a posture of dependence. Means of grace are actions to receive from God, they allow us to drink deeply from the fountain of love. Um, Now, like I mentioned, there's, you can pretty much anything that brings you closer to God, anything by which you experience God's grace, you can call that a means of grace. Um, Special uh, means of grace, that's the spiritual disciplines. General means of grace, anything, you know, that brings you closer to God. Here's a fun line. I don't know if you can read it in the back. Uh, Martin Luther was funny, kind of obnoxious, and yeah, he probably liked beer a little too much. Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. You know, I think he's alone. He's really not alone. There was a whole German group of monks. The was it the Paulinus monks? I, I, I have to think about it. It's been a while. But they created a beer that they would drink, and they would drink that and that alone in their fast. Right? I mean, it's weird, right? But it's not really. You'd say that in the early church and be like, sure, of course, it's fasting. This is a foreign world from you and I, I think, and that's okay. So what are the, oh, by the way, that's the other thing I wanted to bring up. Um, And this was a question, I probably should have recommended this book on the spot, but I got asked a question. There's a lot of misunderstanding. Uh, If you study any Christian history before 1700, you're basically just studying monks. They're the professors, right? So when you just start naming off like, people that wrote a lot of books back in 1250, they're all monks. And so there's, this book is awesome by Greg Peters. He's the guru on this over at, um, is he at Talbot or Biola? Talbot's the upper, uh, the graduate school um, he's awesome, and this book is super helpful. Uh, it's a bit more of a like undergraduate-graduate introduction to the issue, but he says it well, the monkhood of all believers. What monks are doing is loving Jesus, and they're doing it in a way that does seem foreign to us today. Um, I'm going to be mentioning that, but I just want you to understand as we go by, and I mention some names and some important people, recognize when I say, oh, it's a professor. Yeah, they're a monk as well. As sort of just understood. So what are the spiritual disciplines? We got what means of grace are. What are the spiritual disciplines? These are special means of grace. These are God designed us in certain ways to meet him, and these are getting in, at that. It's mimicking practices in the Bible, uh, like fasting, solitude, etc., as a way of experiencing God. So these are special means of tapping into God's grace, for the purposes of of spiritual change. Spiritual formation is much more than just a discipline, so please know that this isn't just about the disciplines, but they are super practical. Why? Because they're ways of experiencing this change. Here's a great uh, quick definition from Donald Whitney, and I know there's a lot of books. This will be the last one I'll recommend for a second. Uh, This is the classic on it. Uh, Donald Whitney's Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. I'd recommend this one alongside, um, uh, well, there's several more, several more, and I'll mention later, but uh, there's a lot on this. And you'll read it and go, wow, this is actually kind of insightful and kind of easy to do um, and really challenging at the same time. So the spiritual disciplines are divinely appointed Christocentric and spirit-empowered equipment for the journey of life unto God. Think of it that way, long story short. We're going to be discussing some of these. We'll, probably get through the, we'll definitely get through the first one today, maybe the second one as well. But first, what are the characteristics of the spiritual disciplines? How do you think about these broadly? And think of these as activities. These are things you do or practices, they're not just attitudes. In fact, it's really not about attitude, it's about doing something to rewire yourself by the power of the Spirit, right? If you think about uh, Paul in First Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That's what he's getting at. And I, I think Timothy would have just known, Paul doesn't have to explain it. Read the Old Testament, what are people doing to experience God? closely, right? And it's a lot of these things what we're going to be talking about. Discipline yourself for the purposes of godliness. Now, these are practices. They're not just things that work for you or for me. These are things that have been going on for a long time, and they've been modeled in the Bible. They're going on. Sometimes, usually, I would say it's very implicit. It's in the background. The author never says, and you should do this too, you know, here's, you know, Moses. W- w- why is he alone right now? Like, what's going on here? Jesus, why is he one second serving people, like in front, being touched by people, and then in the next, he's like doing ninja moves to, to be alone? Like, he's getting out of the crowd. Like, what's going on? Read Mark, read the book of John. It's really interesting but these are deliberate and self-imposed practices these aren't just this isn't something that you just do accidentally or you just do it once this is something that that is that you keep doing and you keep doing for a very specific purpose another way to think about this is repetitious this is very repetitious and we don't necessarily i think as a culture we don't like repetition especially the church doesn't like repetition it doesn't feel new and exciting. But repetition is pretty much your whole life when you think about it, right? You think about, you wake up, you have a certain repetition, you have a certain liturgy of life, right? You wake up, what's the first thing you do? Breathe, right? What's the next thing? You maybe like put your foot on the ground, put your other foot on the ground, you get up, you eat breakfast. We don't often think about this, but these liturgies inform us, And when you start thinking about what you're doing, you're you're starting to realize what the spiritual disciplines are doing. This is repetition. And that's maybe what makes it so hard for us to swallow. I really like this discussion. Um, James K.A. Smith, who's a philosopher, but like really, you know, when you hear that word, you're like, ugh. But he's in the nitty-gritty of life, super readable, relatable guy. He's there on the life, and he's being left. He's there on the left, uh, yes, and he's being interviewed by a couple people at Biola. Um, I think you'll find this insightful.
1: You know, Thank Amen. Okay.
0: There's a lot of good points. I couldn't have said it like that, so I found this little video helpful. The importance of repetition, and we all know, like whatever you're really good at, is, is not because you, are, you know, change it up every time, you've learned certain formative practices of doing it really well, right? So you think Cody up front, I mean, he does a lot more than play the guitar, but he's not up there going, okay, gotta do the G chord. Okay, now it's the D chord. You know what I mean? Like, he's not thinking about it, but there was a point of it in his life, certainly, when he started learning the guitar where he had to do that every time, and he had to think about it. But then it became part of him, and now he just does it naturally. Now he probably doesn't even think about it. It's just second nature. That's what the spiritual disciplines are doing, It's doing like anything else. Like, if you're an athlete, you're going to... Have to learn how to do everything. And you got to learn the basics. What do they call it in baseball? The fundamentals. If you don't learn that, nothing else really sticks. You'll always be sloppy. Well, the spiritual disciplines are the fundamentals of, um, well, our faith, of our life, of of living itself. Um, So... Well, that's never happened. Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, Thanks for being here tonight, by the way. I didn't say that. I appreciate seeing all you here. Long week, everyone. It's a quiet audience tonight. Not sure what's happening. There we go. So, what's the goal of the spiritual disciplines? It's what we just said this is about repetition to a large extent, repetitious practices, self imposed uh, for some end, for some goal. And overarchingly, all these are connected here, but it's to drive the person to spiritual decisions. Whenever I say the word spiritual, think God centered, right? Christ empowering, you know. spiritual decisions rather than natural environmental reactions when you think about everything that uh these disciplines are getting at the ones you're most familiar with i'm kind of picking on here so when you hear when you feel hunger automatically it's just programmed in us eat i'm hungry so food but what, you know, biblical uh, characters, what uh, early Christians, what even mo- many modern Christians have realized is hunger says a lot about you. And when you feel hunger, feel it for a while. Experience it. What does this hunger tell about you? Oh, my goodness, I'm needy. I'm dependent. I'm not the point. I'm going to die. I know, I know there's a, like a dark way to think in all of that. But it's actually healthy when you know yourself better, Right? A healthy perspective and hunger says that I'm not a self sufficient person, I need a lot. I, you know, you, you can fast from air and you'll figure that out way more quickly, right? Stop breathing and you'll figure out how needy you are. So, hunger um, is dealt with in fasting, and you fast intentionally and you just sort of let God talk to you through it, and you're like, Oh, yes, that's so true. Other than just like, you know, our culture is going to push us to, well, eat a Big Mac. It's really easy to experience hunger and just to fill that hunger instead of thinking what it does to you. What about loneliness? Like, right, you feel loneliness, so just automatic, you go to your phone, you text somebody, or you hang out with somebody. Well, let loneliness speak to you, right? We don't really like it because it's God talking in those moments where, where you're just alone and... You feel broken and you feel needy, but this is saying something about you. So experience it intentionally over time. Be the kind of person. Or anxiety, right? Same idea. We're going to see how each one of these is, uh, many of these disciplines connect to one or all of these. Um, what's their goal? To alter existing life and thought patterns, thereby breaking the normal pattern of life. Right, Life just sort of goes by, and we, you can miss it. You don't even realize there were so many emotions you should have felt, so many thoughts you should have had. But it's breaking normal life in order to see God's beauty in everything, breaking up the mundane to contemplate God, to see God in everything, to see the beauty there. And that's often when you, when you read people that do this often, they'll see things that you would never see otherwise. Right, an example of, um, well, I can name several people, but just, you know, looking at a tree and going, oh, my goodness, I learned so much patience by just looking at a tree. I think God created trees just to remind us of patience, this slow, steady, continual growth, never rapid. But they're there after the storm, well, hopefully, except for that one in the church that fell over a while back. Or think of the spiritual disciplines as developing sacred or as, this is a phrase that's often used I think I probably have to explain it here but sacred rhythms to engage intentionally in intimacy with God. We have secular rhythms. don't really need to learn. I mean, we do learn them, but we often don't realize we've learned them so well. And so we become a certain kind of person when we get in a car or whenever Black Friday hits, there's certain liturgies that really infect us, right? Well, well imagine a, a God-centered liturgy replacing it, or a sacred rhythm. And note as we move on that, that the point of Christian life is not the spiritual disciplines. It never was. That would be dreadful news. But these are a means to the end of really experiencing God well. Like Kyle said, to drink deeply from God. Uh, these are means and not end. The end, it really, you can say it's holiness, but it's, it's happiness. That's the end. That's the point. Happiness in God. That's found through holiness. That's achieved through spiritual discipline, right? So here we are. Why practice? I think it should be somewhat apparent right now. Uh, helpful book right here. Oh, you don't need to see it. Uh, But uh, the idea, Jonathan Edwards loves to talk about uh, spiritual formation as becoming like the master. He's talking about Jesus. We want to be like Jesus, but we don't want to do things like Jesus, because it's sort of hard, right? Um, Maybe you have some things that you can mimic well or better uh, about Jesus than others, but we all sort of see him doing that. I don't know how to do that well. I don't know how I can be alone for 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 hours at a time talking to God. Right? Or I don't know how I can serve people so so like you know up close and personal like all the time. How do I do this? But this is what it's about. It's about becoming like the master. And I've mentioned this in the last couple Wednesdays that that the importance of this, the importance of formation is if you don't think repetition, if you don't think discipline, and you just go out and do this, well, you might do it once pretty well. You might do it twice, and then you'll stop. Um, this has to become habitual. It has to become you. You really wear, we, will wear out. Um, so don't think of this as just doing something nice. Keep doing it. Maybe the hardest thing I need to reinforce whenever I talk about this is um, I'll get students saying, you know, I didn't learn anything from it. You know, that whatever spiritual discipline. I didn't learn anything from that. Fasting stupid. How many times do you do it? Like, you know, it's a lot. Like, well, how many times? Like twice? Three times? Like if you, y- you see how quickly you'd give up if you're playing the guitar, learning the guitar, playing baseball, give up playing baseball because after three times of practice, it was too hard. It has to become you. Habitual. Maybe just pick one that we're gonna be talking about these next few weeks and be like, I'm gonna make that habitual. I'm gonna let God speak to me through that. Think of it as a spiritual diet and exercise program, for real. If the exercise doesn't really hurt, you know, you probably, your muscles probably uh, aren't breaking down much. You're probably not growing much stronger. It might feel good, but there's not much going on but also see the parallel here of, um, well, if, you're, if you don't care, take care of your body, things happen, problems arise. You know, even, I used to be a, you know, like a runner all the time. I'd run all the time. I had to change my habits since moving to Phoenix because it's dreadful for the summer. I don't know how you run in that without just dying. But there, there was a couple times. This is like the first time it ever happened to me. That shows how clueless I was but um, where I guess I didn't exercise for a couple weeks. And I'm like, man, I'm just like constantly sad, like all the time, <laughs> right? How it, how, how it affects you. And I'm like, oh, wait, is this depression? I'm like, oh, wow, I really need to repent to God. And I realized, you know what? I should like go on the elliptical. It's like 20 minutes. Afterwards, I was it's, it's a totally different person. It's the amazing connection between our body and our soul. And if we care about our body and we see the connection there, imagine the same way if you're not kind of doing soul discipline, right? Making, making intentional decisions about changing your life. Uh, the importance of soul control. You, uh, soul control, I like that. That sounds like a band or something. Uh, I I think of these three aspects. It's the third that we're going to be focusing on as we move on. But work creates a certain rhythm that's really healthy. We're meant to work. Not all the time, but we're meant to work. We're meant to rest and relax. When When that's out of balance, you can feel it. We're meant to live disciplined lives. Like Discipline's important in all of this as a way of experiencing God better. And that's where we're moving. Here's a short little snippet. Um, I think the Wi-Fi is a bit slow today. Sorry, everyone. Hmm. I'll just skip it. Now, here's a passage from Second Peter, uh, and I know this is a mouthful, and you don't need to read over it yourself right now, but Peter's getting at what we're doing right now, and the good news of spiritual formation, the heavy news of spiritual formation, um, and you can hear in his words, here he is speaking, um, his divine power, God's d- power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through a knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them, we may participate in the divine nature and escape from the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to your goodness knowledge, and to your knowledge self-control, and self-control perseverance, and perseverance godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Right? The good news of the gospel is we're redeemed, we're free. The good news of the gospel is also live like it, and we have the power to live like it in the Spirit. We have that, and that is what we're going to do. So we're going to jump into prayer as the first spiritual discipline. Before we get there, uh, one important reminder I want you to understand, and this is the one I just typically have to say this a couple times, is the spiritual disciplines do not feel good while you're doing them not at least when you're a beginner, not to just overburden, but I'm really familiar with guitar and baseball, but, you know, I mean, calluses on those guitar strings, your fingers hurt for a good while until you get used to it, but also the frustration of practice. Whatever you're good at, you've, you know what I'm talking about, and it takes a while to go, oh, man, I'm, I get it. I see this, I get it. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it'll be your first time, but then you'll experience frustration, inevitably your second, third, fourth time, or whatever. They don't feel good. This is discipline. If you enjoy doing the discipline, you may, you might, you really might. You're either incredibly mature and wise, or you're lying to yourself. This is for my students here, it's usually the latter. Right? There's some things I really do do naturally. It's like one out of like 500. You know what I mean? And you know what I'm talking about. Some things just, they jive with you, and you experience God through it, and it's just intimate, and it's just, it, it's real. I'm like, why doesn't everyone do this, right? But then there's like the whole other list, and you're like, I don't get that. And I'm going to skip those. That's where you can meet God even more. Right? If it doesn't burn just a little bit, uh. You know, Maybe you hit the five-mile stride, as runners say, right? And let every discipline, again, this is not, discipline has such a negative connotation, it's not supposed to, but let it end in contemplation of God. That's enjoyment of God and raptured by God. Um, that's the point of life. That's the point of the new heavens and new earth. It's to see God in everything and just to be uh, in, incessant and, and, and perfect. And that's what we're all about. So let's begin by jumping into, I think we, I have about 14 that we'll discuss. Um, maybe it won't even take all six weeks. Maybe we'll finish it in the fifth week. We'll see. I don't want to uh, beat any dead horses, so I take out what I find less necessary in order to emphasize what, um, what I think we need to hear. So the first... Uh, It's hard to categorize the disciplines well. It's pretty traditional to talk about the personal disciplines and then the corporate disciplines. Um, I'm just going to follow that. I don't really care much. Um, I'm going to begin with prayer. And this is something we all do and we're supposed to do. And yet, now let's think of this as a way of becoming what we really are. Not praying because you have to. That's dreadful. I wouldn't want to pray either. But praying because... It's exactly how we encounter God, especially when we least want to do it. That's the point. So prayer. Now, the biblical and theological necessity is sort of obvious. I probably don't need to outline much about how important prayer is here. Um, It's all over the place. Here's um, Luke reflecting on the ministry of Jesus. But now, more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. But he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. That's really selfish, Jesus. I remember thinking that as a kid, he's doing something here. He's doing something here. Uh, pray, prayer and solitude are correlated. We'll talk about solitude later. Devote yourselves to prayer. Um, that's Paul just talking about it. I mean, this is just makes sense. Make prayer a discipline. Well, prayer is listening and talking to God. Think of it that way, and the, maybe the simplest thing I can tell us all to make it sort of sink in is just talk to God. Don't learn a magic formula. Just talk to God. Conversation between God and mankind. This is Edwards talking, Jonathan Edwards yet again. Conversation between God and mankind in this world is maintained by God's word on his part in prayer on ours. By the former, he speaks to us and expresses his mind to us. By the latter, we speak to him and express our minds to him. It's a great way to think about it, right? And this is something, just do it. Don't come up, don't think there's a formula for it. Just do it. We see this, uh, that was a weird animation. Wow, I'm not sure what was going on there. Uh, praying is about changing. So it's about talking to God for a purpose. When you start talking to God a lot and you realize, oh, wow, this is who I am, actually. I like to sometimes imagine I'm isolated or that I'm self-dependent or self-sufficient, but self, I'm independent or self-sufficient. But prayer helps you see that you're really not at all. Here's Richard Foster. Uh, he's the other Uh, a book on spiritual uh, discipline that that I would highly recommend to you. To pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue that God uses to transform us. In prayer, we learn to think God's thoughts after him, to love the things he loves, to do the things he wills. When you talk a lot with somebody, and by the way, God does respond. We like to pretend not, but we know it. Right? Remember, Satan doesn't convict you. Maybe Satan will convict you about feeling convicted, but if you feel conviction, like, wow, I should stop sinning, <laughs> that's God talking to you. And when you pray, you sort of start realizing things about yourself. You start changing. You start loving things God loves. You start praying. Just pray, pray for somebody you don't like. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And by the, oh. Especially when you don't want to do it. That's when you do it. (laughs) Because I was getting creative a while back here. Prayer has a spiritually strengthening effect. I love that line from Dallas Willard. But he moves on to really insightful lines. I have no idea what I was thinking. Um, This was a while ago, I suppose. Uh, here's Dallas Willard. By the way, he's, he's, he's a legend in, in the world of philosophy and spiritual formation. In Christianity, perhaps you've heard of him. He's really smart, and he just makes it real. Yep. His book, Hearing God, by the way. You want to learn how to pray well? Read his book, Hearing God. Um, it's about more than prayer. It's about hearing God, but uh, that's nonetheless one of the main points. The idea that everything would happen as exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter, uh, a ghost, that haunts the minds of many who sincerely pro- profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course God doesn't respond to this. You wouldn't either. Right, So when we think about prayer, we often think about, man, if I can just get my, my voice in there, if I can just tell God in a really good way, okay, I'm going to start with adoration. God, you're awesome. You, know, you see what's going on here? And then I'm going to move to confession. I don't mean to be ripping on this, but you see where I'm going here. I'm going to confess all my sins really good. Now, now God, you got to listen to me. See, if, see this from my vantage point. Sometimes we see prayer as really just about us, but when we realize it, it is, but it's about us changing and conforming and becoming the kind of person we already are in Jesus. We start looking at prayer differently, powerfully, right? Praying is about changing and being made into his image. When you talk to somebody, you become like them. Just try it. You keep talking to them, and you start realizing who they are, and then you start knowing their vocabulary, knowing their likes, their dislikes, and we make talking to God just like, oh, well, you do it before food for whatever reason. You do it at church, do it at the end of the day maybe, and maybe, maybe throughout. But just think of this as an ongoing conversation where you're continuing, you have the word of God in your mind, you have the Bible in your mind to some extent. Keep talking to God. How is this a spiritual discipline? This is God's ordained method of access into his presence. Happens all over the place. Even when the word prayer isn't used, prayer is what's going on. This is where we encounter him relationally and are comforted. You ever feel comfort? That's the Holy Spirit. God's talking to you. You ever feel rebuked? Satan's not going to rebuke you unless it's about being rebuked, right? Directed, strengthened. This is God speaking. Hearing God. It helps us catch glimpses of eternity and be more spiritually God-centered, minded, and able to see the bigger picture. You pray, and you suddenly start seeing things in the way God does. Read the Psalms. David will also, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He starts out, wow, how precious, David. And he ends going, holy, God. He's, just, he's just speaking God's vantage point. He's praying, and that's what the Psalms are. Side note, if you don't know what to pray, just read the Psalms. They're all about Jesus, so they're all about you in him. Right? And there's basically a psalm for everything. Right? You feel lonely? You don't feel like God's near? Well, read David. Where can I flee from your spirit? If I ascend into the heavens, you're there. If I ascend into Sheol, the place of the dead, you're there. It's translated hell often profound psalm think about this for a second um if you don't know what to pray read the psalms and you'll see david too change his posture that's what happens when you pray so keep doing it and suddenly your negative attitude goes away and you become the kind of person that's just like i'm I'm not saying optimisms optimism is, is not the goal but you become the kind of person that's just content in everything It is a means of getting me past myself and deeper into God. We've basically said that. And this is, again, this is God's ordained means of transformation. It's not hard to see that. Maybe it's harder to see that with fasting, but that's another one too, where I can say that the same way. So moving on, how how should you incorporate this in your life? Well, first of all, and we've mentioned this the first week, remember that, that Scripture teaches us to pray without ceasing, um, and and so so I think we may need to just remember that that on some level rethink prayer. I'm going to go on to habituized habitual prayer and like this like outward talking to God, which you can't necessarily do whenever you're you know in a business meeting in the same way. So 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 first of all, I just want to bring up this idea of contemplation yet again bring God into your thought life and let all things terminate in God, right? When you see a tree, think God. When you see a pizza, think God. Some of this is easy, right? And that every created thing in the world is all about God. That's the whole point. This isn't like, you know what I mean? It's not just like God's like, I'm just gonna randomly create things. Oh, and you humans are my image bearers, cool. Everything's pointing back to him. It all reflects him and thus it should all reflect our minds. So just when you're walking through day, go, holy cow. Have right? you ever been to a really good cathedral before? A beautiful I mean, this, this, there's some of this going on. There's symbolism in all the architecture. The world is like that. These things were designed to reflect the world, which turns our emotions and thoughts and feelings towards God. But the first thing I would say is, when you, as far as prayer goes, do this regularly and often. And again, um, spiritual disciplines are, this is uh, habitual, this is self-imposed, it's going to feel painful at first, and you're going to be like, man, this is just ritual. That's got a negative connotation, doesn't it, in some, for some people. Well, Jesus did a lot of rituals. The more you do them, the more you realize, oh, that's what it means to be human. I'm saying I'm not saying, you're, you're, I'm not saying uh, do these things um, just out of ritual. I'm saying sometimes they will feel imposed. But do this regularly. Find a regular time, several times out of the day. Just pick it and do it. It's that simple. Daily involvement. Whatever your day looks like, involve prayer around that. Just think it through st- strategically at first. And once you kind of get it down, it's like riding a bike, right? It takes a while to learn it, and it's a pain in the butt, and you end up scarring yourself a couple times, but then you get the hang of it, and then it comes easy. Um, Sometimes, you know, there's going to be times in your life where you can do this a lot more, uh, what you might call a retreat or whatever. Very cool. Incorporate that. But again, think in terms of liturgy and your... You're, you're trying to think like Jesus thinks. You're thinking as God intended us to think and looking at our life like they're meant to be lived. Um, and prayer is one way of entering into this and recreating our liturgy, our daily routine, in a way that incessantly forces you to think about God. Right? W- wake up, first time you breathe, y'all, there you have it, right there. First time you eat, there you go. It's everywhere. Now, I'm not really big into this, but I do want to mention there are, you know, you can kind of say there's habitualized prayer. So you think of in terms of Acts-type prayer, I have nothing against that. I was ripping on it before. Um, But there's no real method. I mean, there's the Lord's Prayer, and Acts reflects that really nicely. But then there's a whole book of Psalms, which mostly isn't Acts prayer. David doesn't always, mostly even, start with adoration, so, but this is a great way to think. If you've never heard of this, you guys know the acronym? Adoration. Con- I might get this wrong. <laughs> I don't really care. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I think I just, wow, there you go. That's helpful. Ending with supplication is sort of a reminder that prayer is not about you. I like that. But I don't know if you're like me or you're like people I knew. The first time you learn this, you, like, start thinking there's a method to talking to God. I mean, can you imagine your kid coming to you? Oh, great and powerful father. You know what I mean? Please bestow upon me. Oh, sorry, I jumped straight to supplication. Yeah, straight to supplication there, son. No, I mean, in Christ we're children of God. By the Spirit we're empowered by him. He speaks groanings with, When we don't know what to say. The Spirit talks for us. Just talk to God. And this is a helpful reminder that prayer is about God. So, Acts-type prayer. That's not the be-all, end-all, but that's great. Here's one that's maybe less familiar, uh, really familiar to Christians historically, including in our tradition. But today, I mentioned the church split, um, the breakup in the early 1900s. Well, one side went with this, the other's like... So in, unless you've heard of this, uh, well, here you have it. Centering prayer, it's sometimes called. Contemplative prayer. Think of it this way. Oh, first of all, think what it isn't. This isn't emptying your mind or something like that. This isn't Eastern Hinduism or Buddhism or this experience of the void or Brahman or whatever. This is, think about something really specific, really tangible that will speak to you. Cross. That's a good one. Cross. Just think about the cross. Now, be quiet for 20 minutes thinking about the cross. And when you think of things, bring it to the Lord. Or you start thinking about sin issues. You start thinking about things that you conquered through the Spirit in you this week. You start thinking about joy, suffering, maybe the dark night of the soul stuff. And you're, that centering prayer. When you center it on something very specific, maybe a word, maybe a concept, and you just listen for God. If it's consistent with the Bible, it's God speaking to you. Like, what else is it? Again, don't blame yourself for all the good coming. That's God being like, oh yeah, maybe you should stop being angry to this person. Maybe you should stop thinking this way about this issue or whatever. Just kind of be with God. Listen. We like to talk. We love talking. I'm a teacher. Actually, I really don't like talking that much. But I know I appear to. We love talking. And sometimes just listening to God, sometimes the silence speaks much louder. So that's Cedric prayer. I might get a question about that. Contemplative prayer is another way to say that. And it, it has this weird tinge. But This is something that the Puritans did. This is something Martin Luther did. Um, this is pretty typical stuff, and I find it helpful um, just maybe it's because of my background and I was taught talk, talk the right way to God without really being told that way. That's sort of what I got. And here's listen, listen to God. And then another form altogether, and this is something that we, I brought up before in that ceaseless prayer Uh, Paul commands us to pray without ceasing. He's not just like equivocating here. There is a sense in which we ought to do this all the time. And there's a lot of ways to do this. Whatever works for you, honestly, the way I love to think about this is bringing God into your thought life, your emotional life, whatever, into your daily thinking. When something happens, direct your mind, your thoughts, your emotions, whatever, to God. All the time, without ceasing. Just practice this. It comes really easy. As time goes on, at first, it's probably gonna be straining and weird, right? That ketchup reminds me of the blood of Christ spilt for you. You know, like, okay, Jimmy, he's learning ceaseless prayer. That's, you know, yeah, it might feel painful, but keep doing it because everything really is a reminder of God. That's the whole point. So, how does prayer actually change us? We are right on schedule. How does it actually change us? And I'm going to keep going back to this with each spiritual discipline. I find it really helpful. The the correlation, the intertwining of the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self. This is something that goes back to like any Christian would affirm this. It's most famously and perhaps precisely said by John Calvin. This is beautiful. It is certain that man never achieves the clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinizing himself. And vice versa, Calvin will go on and show that you really don't know God if you don't know yourself. You don't know yourself if you don't know God. The more you see beauty in the world, the more you go, wow, God, that's kind of like a sign of you. And the more you see your own brokenness, the more you see your own, the brokenness of the world, the more you see God's holiness. The more you get what God as infinite, say, immutable being, the more you get what that really means, the more you're like, oh, holy crap, I'm a moron, right, just to translate it really quickly. It's true. This is healthy. Read the Psalms. David, David says this in so many words. It doesn't really translate. Translators don't like to say words like that. They're not positive positive, encouraging. Prayer is a way to open our hearts before God. Think of it this way. This is still talking about the knowledge of God and knowledge of self. The more you pray, the more you know who you are, the more you know who God is and vice versa. You think of David, search me. This is kind of intimidating when you think about it. And know my heart. Know who I really am. This isn't like my emotions. Know who I really am. Try me and know my thoughts. Enter into my thought life, God. Right? The more you talk to God, the more you realize I am a dependent being. I'm needy. I'm a creature. I'm not creator. I'm not like God. I shouldn't live my life like I'm God. You see that? And the two are so closely tied. I basically said this when we were talking about Calvin's point. Through prayer, we see uh, sort of just opposites. Who we are, who God is. And this isn't negative, Nancy, because who we are in Christ is great, is holy, is, keep going, just and loving and all this. But you know your brokenness and you experience it when, when, most often when you talk to God. You ever been intimidating talking to somebody really important, really talented really whatever it is like some famous person or a smart whatever and you're just intimidated and it sort of changes you just that one short little thing like (gasps) and you keep going back to it yeah you totally told me this like well I mean we're like talking about you know the God who made that famous smart whatever person and talking to God all the time will change you more than that one encounter so become what you are. That's really what the spiritual disciplines are all about. You are this in Christ. Never, ever hear, this is good works buying your salvation. Nobody thinks that. Thomas Aquinas do- doesn't, doesn't think that. Roman Catholics don't think that. Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox don't think that. Now you get confusion in the popular level, don't get me wrong, but this is becoming what you are. You're already this in Christ. Now act like it. Become that person and act like that. That sounds intimidating. Be happy. You want to be happy? Do this. What does prayer tell you? You're a dependent and social being whose only life and existence and sociality, I couldn't think of a better word, sociality is found in God. As awesome as friends are, as awesome as your spouse or uh, whatever, I'm not good at thinking about relationships apparently, Whoever it is that you really jive with, imagine so much more with God. Our existence is in him and our true fellowship ultimately stems from him. People are important too, but he's the one holding them together. Therefore, when you think about what I'm saying, the point is not, and it's never, this is not the point I need to pray more. Sure, that's true. But the point isn't I need to pray more. It's, Reflect on everything we're saying and take away from this that we all have sets of habits that take us away from who we are and prayer is one way to deliberately break my former patterns and become the sort of person who I am in Christ. Right? This is not God guilting you. Oh, I'm really lonely. Why don't you talk to me, Ryan? It's not it at all. It's like, Ryan, you really want to be happy but you ignore what happiness is, moron. Moron. No, God doesn't. You you get my point, right? I I like to imagine, see, this is God in my head. These are the conversations I have. Uh, David's way more graphic. Paul uses way more heinous words. I think I'm okay. So I always like to bring it back to one example. There's sometimes several examples. I'm just going to use one this time. And uh, wow, that's overexposed. It doesn't really come across very well. He, uh, this is Thomas Aquinas, in the 1200s, and the orange fake tan was in, as you can see. (laughs) Yeah. So Thomas Aquinas, he was, uh, I don't even know what to say. This is a real human being. There's so many fun stories to tell about Thomas of Aquino from a a wealthy family in Italy, if you've ever heard of Aquino. Aquino. And he's not, it's not going to go where you think it's going to go, but Thomas Aquinas was called the dumb ox um, by his classmates. Um, he was teased a lot in school. He was uh, ox because he's, he was uh, chubby. He was dumb because really smart people appear to be dumb. Uh, he would ask questions to the, you know, the teacher that they covered five weeks ago. And the classmates are like, man, you're so behind. Like, get with it. Dumb ox, right? Uh, there's a story where one of the bullies, I guess, in class went over to the window, looked out. This is in a university. The medieval world created the university. Um, it went, went to the window and, and yelled out, Thomas, Thomas, there's a flying cow. Thomas, look, there's a flying cow. And Thomas runs over. You can kind of imagine and he looks out the window, and in astonishment, he realizes there's no flying cow. Everyone's laughing. Ah, Thomas, you're so stupid. And he responds, well, I would rather believe there's such a thing as a flying cow than believe that my friend could possibly lie to me. Ooh, savage. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of stories like this. Now, he's, cons- he's credited with being the nerd of all nerds. Our tradition is built in Thomas. Define God, and you're just echoing Thomas. The guy's an uber nerd. My STEM students love him because he 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 analyzes God like you would analyze physics, which you think is probably like you you. I I know like my first time I was like, ugh, you can't do that with God. It's so beautiful and elegant, and everything connects. But the whole point is this uber nerd who wrote way more than I'll ever read, and I read a lot. This uber nerd, all theology, all of life, his whole existence is all about prayer. Theology is just prayer to God. All these books are just him trying to make sense of everything, but it's ultimately prayer. That's a great model. Whatever you do, whatever your vocation, career, work, whatever you call it, whatever your life is, be like Thomas. All right? See God in everything. See prayer in everything. And theology is not about like learning stuff for Thomas so much as it's an expressive reaction almost to what God did and who God is and what his existence is all about. Thomas, that's the rated um, PG story. There's much more to say. Maybe I'll bring up more. There's all kinds of fun stories. His family wasn't happy with him wanting to become a Dominican monk. The Dominicans were beggars. You had to give up all your stuff. And they were wealthy. So his whole, you know, what do you call that? Your inheritance would have to be given. But he did it anyway. But I I won't get into it. There's a lot of fun stuff to talk about with Thomas. Well, here's a fun uh, quote where he's talking about prayer. And the biggest thing to recognize, whenever you're reading somebody, give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, Same thing with The Bible. You hear the word eternal life, and it's just like it's all about just like never dying. No, this is the Gospel of John. He's reflecting the Gospel of John, and John, instead of using kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, like the other three synoptic Gospels, uh, uh, John talks about the point of existence in the words of Jesus as eternal life, and that's life now. That's life as we're talking about. That's the good life. Um, and here he is, the starting point of prayer is desire for eternal life, the good life now. And this persists in all the other works we do in due order because all of them should be ordered towards obtaining eternal life. And so the desire for eternal life persists, persists virtually in all the good deeds we do. We pray in order to make ourselves realize that we need to make recourse. We need to have recourse to his help. By praying, we offer God reverence in so much as we subject ourselves to him and profess by praying that we need him as the author of all that is good for us. That's prayer. So seeing who you really are and ending, this is gonna naturally end in joy because you see your brokenness, but it's not the end of the story. God's goodness is, and God's goodness comes to expression in and through us. So that's prayer. Um, I'll, going over what I really wanted to, but a couple of catchy reminders that, again, talk to God, talk to God, talk to God. There's no formula. Don't let anyone lie to you. You don't have to just say the Lord's Prayer over and over again, but you can do that, and that's powerful that you keep doing it. But just talk to God, right? Richard Foster, (laughs) yeah, makes sense. In the same way that a child cannot draw a bad picture so a child of God cannot offer a bad prayer. Bam. One more. We do not want to be beginners in prayer, but let us never be convinced of the fact that we will never be anything else but beginners all of our life. Right? There's no guru of prayer. Just do. How do you meet God? Talk to him through that. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me, kind of. Years back, I'll, years from now, I'll look back and go, I, I had no clue. But right now, I do that.